Well, thank you, David, for those kind words of welcome, and uh, good evening, everyone. It's a joy to see you. Good evening, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, got some life there. Good. Thank you. I'd also like to thank the IT folks back. They do an absolutely fantastic job. And I'm saying that in anticipation. I'm going to have a PowerPoint going along as I speak. So uh, <laughs> that's in faith, trusting that everything is going to uh, work fine. And uh, I also have a few stones along with me here. They're not from the River Jordan, but from the Firth of Forth. They're just not as exotic, but at least uh, we've got something. And uh, I'd like to share a few thoughts of memorial stones. And then I'd like to share, along with that, some thoughts of memorial stones in my life as a missionary for some 37, nearly 38 years in various parts of the world. I also want to thank those of you who are so gracious and so loving and kind to me when I see you and I forget your name and uh, you forgive me. So please keep on forgiving me because uh, it's hard to be in different continents every other week and remember people's names. So I just thank you. And thank you for a lot of folks here have been such a blessing and encouragement to Anna and myself over many years of mission work. Um, you have prayed for us. You have given us practical fellowship in the Lord, and we've deeply appreciated that. And many of you have uh, sat with us in a one-to-one and prayed and shared and give us counsel and advice, and uh, we feel very much part of you. So it, it's a special joy for me tonight to share uh, God's Word with you and share something of what the Lord has been doing uh, with us and through us uh, through well, as I say, since 1971, I think it's been since we joined the mission work. There's been many, many changes in our lives. Many changes in this church. I'm sure your home life has changed a lot. Mission life has changed. Change and transition, they're common words. Every day we've got change and transition. I was just looking, we, caught, we got the bus in and we walked across Princess Street and I looked down there and saw all the changes there with whatever's happening there. I'm not really quite sure what it is, but there's something going on. Well, all that's changing and uh, is quite in- incredible. Tremendous changes in HCJB, that's heralding Christ Jesus' blessings. New president, new president's team. I used to be a vice president for many years, now I'm just somewhere... In fact, now I've just been told I've got a, a, an office in the kitchen at our home in Kirtliston, so that's how things have changed drastically in my life too, but a, a lot of changes. Changes in Ecuador. place that started in 1931, that's about 79 years ago, and just last Monday, the 1st of September, if I'm correct in that, uh, was the last time we broadcast shortwave to the world. It shut down our transmitters after 57 or 58 years in PIFO, where Anna and I lived for about 10 or so years, and uh, because a new airport was coming in over the, the PIFO Valley, and uh, they had to shut down the transmitters. So many, many changes. That's been our whole life in the mission, to reach the world with the gospel from PIFO, Quito, and Ecuador. They're called Voice of the Andes, La Voz de los Andes, in Russian, and all these 120, 30, 40 languages. They just stopped last week. And it really was very difficult for me because we stopped Russian broadcasts. And that uh, we've been doing for about 68 years. Because of finances and all the rest, we had to stop our Russian just a few days ago. But we're still passionate and still anxious to see people saved. That commission that God gave us to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, verse 19, is still burning in our hearts and our lives. So we want to keep on going with that. Well, tonight I want to share something with you about memorial stones unto God. Not memorial stones to us or HCAB, but unto God. 
And uh, there's 319 references uh, in the Bible about memorial stones. And uh, they're unto God. They're not unto people, not unto institutions or anything else. So I want to just look very, very briefly at some of these memorial stones and then share some of our own life uh, out of that. The first one I want to look at is Jacob's dream at Bethel. And um, this is quite, a, quite an amazing story. It's found in Genesis 28, verse 10 to 22. And it uh, says there, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he had reached a certain place, he stopped for the night had... Sorry, I better put these glasses on. I apologize. I'm supposed to look through these. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. The Lord said, I am the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob awoke out of his sleep. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, house of God. Surely the Lord is in this place. I wonder how many times you've been able to say, the Lord was in this place. Maybe been at a prayer meeting, a hospital visitation, or uh, somewhere where uh, something strange happened, and you were able to say, the Lord was in this place. We have absolute, probably hundreds of examples where we really say, the Lord was in this place. The Lord blessed in a mighty way. I want to share one, <clears throat> just one thought with you. Um, a number of years ago, two friends of mine uh, and myself, we had the privilege of going to uh, Papua New Guinea. Now, I know some of you have been there, and uh, <clears throat> it's quite a marvelous place. I was told before I went that the fastest snakes on the earth lived in Papua New Guinea, and I think that was probably true because uh, we had quite a few experiences with uh, fast snakes. But uh, we left Port Moresby on an MAF plane, and uh, one of those planes where you could actually see the daylight. It was air-conditioned. <laughs> the, the air was coming in the sides of it. And we flew up towards Yukarumpa. Some of you have been there too. And we landed in a valley called the Waria Valley. It was cut off from other roads or anything else, but it was a, a quite a unique place. <clears throat> and um, we heard as a Sunday service. We were walking down to this uh, service, and uh, someone came alongside and said, uh, Eric, I, I want you to speak at this uh, service. I said, fine, is this just a greeting to the folks or wherever? Oh, no, we'd like to give a message of, you know, 30 to 45 minutes. And uh, by the way, there'll be two interpreters, one from English to whatever the men spoke, and then some other language from what the men spoke to what the women were speaking, because apparently there was some difference. I didn't know any of the languages, so I was lost completely. So we went down to this uh, building, and there was eight pillars, uh, wooden posts just sticking up, and they were all higgledy-piggledy, and had a grass roof over it, and it was raining very heavily outside, and of course, the, the rain was coming down through, and the, the whole ground was mud. I mean, there was half an inch of mud or a few centimeters of mud floating around this place, and straw, and some tree trunks, and the people sat on the tree trunks. There was probably two or three hundred people in this particular meeting, and the children had no clothes on, and some of the adults had very, very little as well. So it was quite a unique place, and uh, 
Uh, I had the privilege of speaking at that. And you know, you don't have time to sort of prepare a, a half-hour sermon when you're walking two minutes to a meeting. So I had to look and ask the Lord to give me revelation. And the first thing that I looked at in my notes that I was going to speak on, I sort of went with a bang anyway. Um, the first thing I looked at was, it talked about um, telephone communications, how we communicate with people. And these people hadn't even seen a telephone. There was no such thing as a generator. There's no electricity. There's nothing. So it was one of these fast uh, things. But the Lord blessed in a mighty way. What I want to, to tell you is this, folks. At the end of that meeting, <clears throat> we made a, just uh, people that wanted to trust the Lord, that wanted to come and bow down to surrender to the Lord. And there was about 40 people came and knelt down in the mud front of that church. Just open sides with all air conditioning. There's not just the roof on it. And folks, I couldn't speak to any of these people because I couldn't speak any language. And some people dealt with them and talked to them and all the rest. And I just went around, put my head on and say, Lord bless you. And uh, I stood back and it was incredible. I had tears in my eyes. And I looked at this scene in this language I hadn't a clue was even to him. And just said, surely the Lord was in this place. The presence of the Lord was absolutely dynamic. And this is what Jacob was talking about. Surely the Lord's presence was here. The Lord was here. If I ever have the privilege and chance to go back to Papua New Guinea, I would like to go to that particular spot and put a stone there, a pillar, a stone, and say, this is Bethel the house of God. I'll never forget that experience. It really was quite incredible. The second one, because I need to go fairly fast here, was Joshua's deliverance at Jordan. It starts off the whole story in Deuteronomy chapter 1, but the main part of it is in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 1 to 8. We have the prediction of crossing of the Jordan into the promised land, as uh, David uh, indicated at the first part of Joshua. Looking at Joshua chapter 1, it says there that God promises and speaks to, to Joshua in this. He says, No one be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Folks, if you ever think of mission work, just take this verse and step out with God. In these particular verses in Joshua. What a tremendous challenge. God prepares Joshua, the preparation of Joshua, the promises of God, his presence, his power, his protection. What a tremendous verse. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Take that with you. Take that to Africa. Papua New Guinea, South America, wherever your God takes you. Take that and cling to it. Hold on to it. And let me tell you, the will of God will not take you anywhere where his provision will not be there to provide and protect and strengthen and encourage you. And I know today it's, it's, it's old hat or old language to talk about God calling you to the mission field. Folks, let me say many, many times we have been in situations where we didn't, we didn't know where to turn to the right or to the left. And in the midst of that despair, God has come in and said, I called you. I will equip you. I will strengthen you. I will encourage you. I will be with you. In these verses, it's one of these strengthening things that God does through his word, through his voice to us. Then there's the preparation of the people. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. And 
Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The people were to be consecrated, cleansed, committed, before the Lord would work in them and through them. I often ask what can be accomplished for the kingdom of God when God gets the glory through a sanctified life. We talk about commitment, but I like the word a surrendered life. Not just committed. Commitment today seems to be very, very little, very shallow. But a surrendered life to God is completely different. God is in control. You're God conscious and God in control. Joshua chapter 3, verse 6. I'm coming up to the notes here. Commitment. Take up the ark, he said to the the priests of the covenant, and pass on ahead of the people. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's river, which is in full flood, go and stand in the river. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water stopped flowing. Now, folks, that isn't a very good plan. I, I would have a debate with the Lord in this whole thing because I wouldn't like to be walking up with this ark of the covenant or river and uh, find that all these people are behind. And if this thing doesn't open up and we can't go through, we're going to really be embarrassed. Lord, give us a a couple of years and we'll build a bridge or a fourth road bridge or something like that. We'll do something, but uh, let's reconstruct this whole plan. Yet God wants these people to step forth. Step forth with commitment, courage, and conviction. No compromise. There's conviction instead of compromise. Oh, folks, today it breaks my heart to see compromise with the Word of God. Compromise with the world, with sin and truth. It's no longer how far can I walk away from the line of sin. It's how close can I walk, compromise to sin. How close can I get to it rather than getting burnt? And hopefully I can just get close enough and play both. Folks, let me say it is commitment without compromise and conviction without compromise. In this commitment, instead of complacency, complacency, this so what attitude, I'm all right. Why care for others? They don't care about me. don't care about the other billions that have never really heard the name of Jesus yet. Do you realize in Eurasia alone, in this area that I'm responsible for at the moment, there's over 500 million, sorry, less than 1%, 500 million or have never even trusted Christ as their own personal Savior. That's in Eurasia. Compassion instead of control. My way or nothing is the usual idea. Courage instead of caution. There had to be a lot of courage for these men to walk right up to the river's edge and they actually put their feet into the water. Do you know anything about putting your feet in the water for the Lord? Stepping out. Faith, trust, Courage. That caution. Oh, wait a minute, I hold on. I don't know what's going to happen if I do that. Chapter 3, verse 15. Now the Jordan was in full flood during the harvest. Now these photographs that you've just seen, I don't know whether they're up or not, but I trust they're there somewhere. Uh, it shows just a wee line. It shows a small stream. I understand. I've never been to the Jordan. I've never been anywhere over there. But I understand that at certain times that this, the whole valley is flooded, but now there's a shortage of water, so it's just a, a trickle. In fact, I actually have to regulate the water to keep things going over there. But I understand when this actually happened two and a half thousand years ago that the water was indeed a torrential rage through a whole valley. So when they reached the water's edge, the water stopped upstream and God put his hand upon it. Don't be afraid to get your feet wet in serving God. Why does God seem to always wait to the last minute before he does something? Have you ever find that, folks? 
I'll never forget, this is just jumping one bit, never forget, <clears throat> this would be a memorial stone when I get to those things. I'll jump this one just now and say, I'll never forget the Lord reminded us to go back to Ecuador a number of years ago, and we were lacking $5,000, 5,000 pounds in our support. And uh, the mission said that they needed us back, and we said we couldn't go because with this deficit. And uh, there was this back and forth and back and forth. The Lord said, hey, step out. Get your feet wet. Trust me. Who are you depending on anyway? I'm going to remind you of this. We were standing, we're two children, in Newcastle Airport in England. And we're about three or four people to the desk to get on this plane to go back to Ecuador. We're flying to Amsterdam and then on to Quito. And uh, this 5,000 pound deficit was still over our head. And as we were standing in that line, just ready to go up to the counter, a, p- a person walked up and handed us an envelope with a check for 5,000 pounds. Before they call, I will answer. And while they're yet speaking, I will hear. That's God intervening in your life. That's how the Lord prepares the people. So get your feet wet. Get right up to the counter and trust God for that. What was the whole reason for these stones? And how did the Jordan provide them? Now, what I've got here, as I've said, are just a couple of wee stones from the the fourth. The stones you've seen here are different. But the scripture tells us that the men carried the stones on their shoulder. So they had to be fairly large stones. And then they made an altar in the, the, the river, and then they made an altar later on, and they actually put a plaster over them and things like that. I don't want to go into that now. But Joshua said, what do these stones mean? Or so the whole idea was, what do these stones mean? What, what, what about it today? Joshua says in chapter 4, verse 21, he said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan and dry land. For the Lord your God did to the Jordan just as he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. This is the key verse. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God. It wasn't just stones taken up that I've got here and just uh, just an idol. This was to prove to the peoples of the earth that God is powerful and that they'll fear the Lord. That's in reverence and respect to God for the rest of their lives. What a tremendous memorial stone. May I share a few memorial stones uh, with you just as we go on to, to just encourage you to bless your heart that this is what the Lord can do in your lives. Now you might say, well, you're a mission, you're different. Folks, I'm just saved by God's grace like anyone else. The Lord can take you and see memorial stones in your life. I was saved at age nine through a pastor McNabb of Mount Pottinger Baptist Tabernacle in Belfast. I don't know whether you know it or not. And I was ill at the time and he came in and he prayed with me and he prayed the little chorus. Come into my heart, come into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Very simple prayer. And yet I believe that God answered that and God saved me. Let me ask you tonight, have you ever prayed that simple prayer and asked the Lord Jesus to come into your heart and into your life? Have you? Then God called me at the Worldwide Missionary Convention in Bangor, Northern Ireland. 
Dr. Clarence Jones, who was the founder member of HCJB, that's Hurling Christ Jesus Blessings, he spoke to young people that particular evening. It was a Saturday night, and he made a very strong challenge. And I felt God definitely speaking to me and challenging me to missionary work. And I was sitting at a church almost identical in structure as this one here, and I was sitting up on the left-hand side on the balcony, and uh, I thought, well, now, if I get out of this place and just get away, this, this feeling, this call, this, this uh, whatever it was that God was doing, it'll all disappear. And just in this church, I went out the back and down the stairs and just got to the front door and I watched the whole proceedings. I was always involved in math and physics in those days and I sort of calculated when he goes to shake hands at the, the left hand of the door, I'll sort of sneak out the other side and it'll all disappear and the, all this embarrassment will be, all be over. And folks, just like the outside of this door here, uh, I got to about the last step coming down the stairs on the left-hand side. And just as I was ready, an older lady just stepped out in front of me, and I almost knocked her down. So sort of putting my arms, not round her, but sort of steadying her up again and getting her on her feet. Just as I did that, Dr. Jones turned around, and he spoke to me straight to my eyes. He said, young man, shook me by the hand, and he said, God was speaking to you tonight. That's fairly powerful. Pastor Tom Lawson, Lawson knows exactly the church. It's just across the road from where he pastored for many years in the Hamilton Road Baptist. And that Presbyterian church, that's how God spoke to me and called me. I actually, this is true, folks. You may laugh at this, but I actually looked at my hand and his hand, and they both were together like this, and well, was this connected? I mean, God was speaking to the... That, that's how it happened. That's how God called me to the mission field in 1965. Then, believe it or not, I committed myself to the Lord and we place up on Thurlson Lane up Marchmont Road. I'm sure some of you even know that up uh, across the meadows and up there. I was in Diggs in a wee place. I was studying for a Master of Science degree in physics over here in, in Harriet Watt University. And uh, we had real struggle financially. You think it's bad today. Then it was worse. I was selling petrol down Leith Walk and sold a lot of textbooks and things like that. And, and um, I really was in a bad way. And I said, Lord, do something. And I applied for an academic scholarship. I'll not say what it was, but it was an academic scholarship. I, I was awarded this scholarship at 400 pounds, not a great deal of money, but 1965, that was a lot of money then. And I remember on my knees that uh, morning uh, in, in this little flat that I was in, or this thing was seven digs. I said, well, the Lord, if you can provide my needs as a student in Edinburgh, you can provide my needs as a missionary. And I committed my Lord, myself to the Lord. It's, it's simple. But that's how God worked in my life. I'm going to put a memorial stone up for that. That's how God worked and called me into the mission work. Then my marriage to a godly woman. Uh, I'd say be careful because she was sitting up here on the left-hand side in Charlotte Chapel, Baptist. And uh, then we talked at a, at a young people's uh, over at uh, Leith there near the Fetish College. And uh, we were having a football game there, and I had a broken shoulder from judo, because I loved judo in those days. And um, this young lady came over and started to talk to me, as nurses do. And, uh, well, here we are 40 years uh, later. Our anniversary was just a short time ago. We had that milestone. I said milestone, not a millstone. It was... Uh, <laughs> so I will put a stone. I'll put a smaller one there for that. Not, not, not the different. That's a nice color one there. And... Uh, that is a real milestone in my life and a memorial stone of God's graciousness to me, and I thank the Lord for that. We were together and was pregnant with our daughter Janelle, and we're down at a place called El Chaco, 
down in the, the Ecuadorian jungle towards Brazil. I mean, this was no man's land. This was just desolate. Um, lashing rain, and uh, there some th- something had gone wrong with equipment. It was a pump and a generator, and they took me down here to see if I could look at it or something like that. It was a steep bank in the river at the bottom. It was lashing rain. And I went into this wooden building, and just as I got inside and looked at something, the whole flywheel completely broke apart, and the whole building collapsed. And I was underneath this for I don't know how many minutes, but I was underneath this building and crawled out eventually, and mud all over me and all the rest of it. And as I came out, some of you know the word, uh, it was un milagro, it was a miracle, it was a miracle that I'd come out alive from underneath this building. And uh, uh, I just saw this group, maybe 60 people on the side of this bank, and raining down. And I started, <laughs> as a missionary in pathetic Spanish, and started to talk about the powerful hand of God in my life. And I, and I, and I pastor talked this morning about a vision. This was not a vision. This is just in my mind. I saw a group of people praying in a circle. That's all it was, just, and it was very, very clear. I saw this group of people praying, and I started to speak then to this group on the side of the bank of how God's hand was powerful and how he protected his people, etc., etc. And, and uh, about a year and a half later, on furlough, or HMA, we walked into a little church in Church Street in Bangor, in Northern Ireland. And as I walked in through the door, I saw again, physically now, this group of people in a circle praying. And we checked up, and there in the calendar was Eric and Anne, who were in their time at night and our time in the morning in Ecuador, six, seven hours later, whatever it was, or earlier. And that's how God miraculously put his hand upon our life. And that was quite a few years ago, but that was another memorial stone. Can I say here that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that, that you almost may fear the Lord your God? We had a terrorist attack in a place called Pifo. I don't know whether you can see it on the slides or not. It come up there with antennas. And uh, this terrorist group was belonged to the Sadok. It was a, a communist group within the government. It was attacking all sorts of uh, evangelical stations and various things were going on. And so they wanted to take over a whole radio station, 140 acres, 26 antennas, 12 transmitters, a massive station that was just all closed down. So they had um, people infiltrating this group, and they had called the police, and the police called HCJB, and they called out to us to say, this terrorist group, the six lorries, they're loaded, they're all, their rifles and their guns, and they're going to take over the whole radio station. So be prepared. So we got the ladies and the children into uh, a home. We had a certain shelter under the ground, and they went into that home, and the men went over to the building, and we prepared the station. In those days, we had what they call a crisis management system that within 24 hours, the whole radio station would slowly shut down so it would not get into communist hands and would not be run by, by this particular group. So uh, we were ready to press that button, and if that happened, then the whole place would just slowly shut down. Well, folks, you can see, I don't know if it's on the screen, there you can see an antenna there. Those antennas you can see from 36 kilometers away, coming out of Quito into the valley, into Pifo, you can see, because it's down the valley, it's 1,000 feet below, and you can see those antennas and those towers. So they, there's only one road out, comes right out to where we were, lived, and, uh, but there was a little fork in the road just about 800 meters from our entrance. And it was a clear day, and we prayed that God would protect, put his hand upon us. 
You know the obvious that happened? That group of terrorists come right out, and they came to that fork in the road, 800 meters, not kilometers, 800 meters from our entrance to the building, and God had brought down a dense cloud, and they got lost. They could, they could see the antennas from 36 kilometers, but they couldn't see these antennas from 800 meters because God intervened. The hand, that powerful hand of God was upon us. And, of course, the authorities said they would send the Ecuadorian army out. Well, they arrived the next day, but this, these terrorist groups took off to the left and went north to Yaraki and up uh, towards the Colombian border. In fact, they were mostly were all Colombians in that particular guerrilla organization. Folks, that was quite an amazing story of God. They cut our brake lines and our cars and all sorts of things. We had some tremendous attacks in those days, but God protected He did this so that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that the people might always fear the Lord your God. The dear brother Hard Salisbury from New Zealand was working with us in our hydroelectric plant that we installed in Papayakta. He climbed a tower late in the evening and uh, unfortunately the guy wires broke and he was tragically killed. Dear brother... And at the end of the, the construction of the hydroelectric dam that was put up there, it was about 10 meters high and there was a lot of concrete in, they decided to put his shoes, uh, as a, just as a memorial to this man, just to put his shoes in the top of the dam and the last pour of the concrete. And as we did that, uh, my boss then, our senior vice president, Ben Cummings, just made a prayer and thanked the Lord for Howard. Great guy. And two young men came up and knelt at that dam. Carlos Casahualpa and Clemente Casahualpa, two Quechua uh, Indians, and they trusted Christ as their personal Savior. Those two men today are two of the leading elders in a little church up in an Indian village in Malauco, up from where we lived. A memorial stone to God's graciousness and his hand. There's a church still going to God's hand, his powerful hand, that the peoples might fear reverence God. Oh, okay, now five minutes, seven minutes, I need to go here quickly. Robert Cockerham was a fellow from England. He joined us in PIFO, went off for a week's holiday down to the beach in Esmeraldas, and unfortunately ran into the sea, and uh, there was one of these, what they call fingers going out, the very strong currents off the coast of Ecuador, and he was tragically drowned. We had a service for him in the little Pifo church that I had the privilege of pastoring for about nine years. And uh, during that uh, service, uh, some very strange things happened, but the Lord was there and really blessed in our midst. And as I preached that sermon that day, Jose Bustamante, one of our nationals, came and trusted the Lord as his personal Savior. And Jose has been the instrument in God's hand to lead literally hundreds and even possibly into thousands of people to the Lord. And Jose and myself had a real burden to put in a school in Pifo. And uh, this was a very dark, dark place. I mean, Satan had complete control in this village. It was absolutely incredible. It really was. Some of the witchcraft that was going on and stuff, it was just incredible. But we prayed that God would provide a school. 
And I remember meeting with the priests and some of the, the officials in the village and all the rest of it, and they said, never, never, never would there be a Christian school, an evangelical Christian school in this place. Well, Anne and I had the privilege two years ago of standing outside that church and watching 160 children in a Christian school. God intervened that his mighty hand would be seen and people would fear the Lord. Incredible. We were in a place called Progresso, down the southern part, down near Peru. And uh, I know some of you may even know this area. Young man sold a, sold a, a pig and bought a transistor radio. His name was Nabio. He became a Bible teacher in a Carbon CU Bible College for OMS. And uh, we were coming back from some meetings, another missionary, myself and Nabio, and uh, we had to go off the main road, and they had dug a hole in the road, and the jeep went down into this hole, and just as we, the jeep was stuck in there, the next thing we got these big rocks pelting at us. There were about 50 people up in the side of the road throwing these rocks down at us, and uh, I will never forget this, folks. Uh, this guy, Nabio, had only trusted the Lord a few months before that. He shouted up to him, You can't touch us. You can't hurt us because we're God's children. He will protect us. And we were Shh, what's be quiet? You guys are up there. And um, quite an experience. All of a sudden, about 20 minutes later, all these folks just disappeared. They ran. Now, this is difficult for me, folks, but this is true. We eventually got the Jeep out with all sorts of tree trunks and all sorts of things and got to a little village. We're sitting eating fish head soup in this cafe and uh, we heard people mumbling and grumbling and that and we started to ask, well, what, what, what's going on? What's Are you the folks that were in that, that jeep down there? That was, did, you, did you hear about this whole thing? Yes, yes, we were there. Well, where did you get all the soldiers from? All those soldiers in white. Do you get the story? Somehow God's hand, his powerful hand, was upon us. And apparently on the other side of the hill, God provided his angels. We didn't see them. We didn't know anything about it. But they saw them. And God's powerful hand was upon us and protected us. I'm nearly running out of stones here, folks, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop in a minute. <clears throat> I'll tell you a very funny thing here. My daughter's here, so I need to be very careful this one here. I was... Uh, she was baptized in this pool that we have and um, had the privilege of baptizing at least 200, maybe 300 people or so. And, and uh, after that baptism, we have a communion service out in the field. And um, I don't know whether Janelle remembers this or not, but at that, I was doing the communion and uh, I heard this grunting and this uh, munching going along and we had the little table in the field. And uh, next thing I realized that there was a pig underneath the communion table and he was chewing at my feet underneath and I will never forget that. <laughs> a few months ago I was involved in taking some money to a certain country and that money was to buy equipment. That equipment was going to build a, a music studio in a Central Asian closed country location. I can't tell you where it was. I thank God today that that studio is up and running and working and the young people are coming to know Christ through the music in that studio in a Central Asia country. I took that money with me and I discovered on the plane that I had a thousand euros more than the official limit. 
so I had to fill in the form to declare this money. And I thought, well, surely this will be taken from me. I'll be in jail. I'll be in trouble. All sorts of things will happen. And I went to the toilet in the plane, and I just said, Lord, help. Now, I know everybody likes a committee meeting when we're praying and things like that. Folks, in my life, I've got to a stage where I believe that God, when you just say, help, God's there and helps. As I come out of the immigration bit into customs, lifted my bag, and there was this tall gentleman in front of me. And uh, he was walking to the to-declare line because I had my form filled in, and I didn't even understand the language, but we filled it in, and we're walking up to this to, to show the money and all the rest of it. And just as we got to the barrier, this large soldier with a red hat and a big gun walked in front of us and pulled the tape across, and he shouted something to the man in front of me. I haven't a clue what he said. And, uh, but the guy in front turned around and said to me, the x-ray machine is broken, so we have to go through the note, not to declare line. We're not allowed to go through this line. Well, I just walked through. I actually had my money in the, my hand, all the forms, and I ring the hand over, and we walked through. And I got out to the outside, and I met our national brother, and let's say what nationality is. The national brother was waiting for me. As I got outside there, I told him this story. And I was shaking like this, because it's quite an experience going through some of these places. I thank God I'm going to a place where I don't need a passport anymore. I don't need visas and all the rest. And, well, folks, my pa- I have two passports and they're both... Anyway. And uh, <laughs> I'll not tell you the story of that either. Um, as I got outside, I told this national brother how God had even put his hand upon us and brought us through that. And you know, you know what he said to me? It really brought me down from here down to here. And he says, well, so what? We were praying that God's hand would be upon you. This is not just to play with. This was money to buy a studio to take into a country that none of us here today can even walk into, a a country in Central Asia that's completely closed to any sort of evangelical witness. In fact, it's uh, execution if you even name the name of Jesus in this particular country. That's what God has done. Okay, I better finish just now. I think I've, I've a few more stones, but I think I'll finish. Well, let me just give one more and then I'll stop. One more, and then that's me finished. Talk about before they call, I will answer, and while they're yet speaking, I'm here. I will hear. Our two children have come to stay with us in a certain place in the United States, and we were very short of food, and we prayed that God would provide. Within 20 minutes of us praying that God would provide... And we'd shared that little verse, before they call, I will answer, and while they're yet speaking, I will hear Isaiah 65, verse 24. There's a knock on the door, and this wee man, Dick Smith, he's still a supporter of ours, came in with a basket of food, and he said, this is with an envelope, there's a hundred dollars in it, and he thanked us for what we had done in the family. His son, very tragically, through trying to get a high in life, if you understand that term, he committed suicide. And uh, they were devastated, this family. And I helped with the funeral, helped with all the arrangements, did, the fu- did everything with them and all the rest of it. And just as appreciation, this man brought uh, this basket. Folks, that's a memorial stone to my children. To God's mighty hand providing that the rest of the earth may know him and fear him. We have had a privilege of serving God.
Can I ask you tonight, do you know anything at all about stepping out and getting your feet wet, going to the water's edge, to the river's edge, getting your feet dipped in the water, trusting God with compassion to reach out to others? I say that it has to be a life that's surrendered to God, not just, oh, I'll commit to a couple of years or I'll commit to this or commit to that. F.B. Myers said in a quote, Christians, we have God present in our lives. Some have God predominant in their lives, but very few of us have God preeminent in our lives. I would encourage you with all my heart to please step forward and get your feet wet and make God preeminent in your life, a life that's surrendered to God. Many things have changed in our lives. Many things are changing today. One thing that hasn't changed, and that is God's command, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. May the Lord richly bless you and encourage you tonight to step out, step forward, encourage and conviction to step forth with God. Let's sing our closing hymn. I'm sorry, I forget what it is. Jesus, all to Jesus.